your credit today with Angela Setters Bassard, the real credit queen. It's time to get your creditation on. Tune in, invite your friends and co-workers as we share industry tips, stories, and wealth-building strategies. This is A to the N to the G. Let's go. Hey guys, it's A to the N to the G and you're listening to Your Credit Today. I have an amazing guest on my show today, Troy Carter. And as I always do, you know, I have to do a little business. If you have not subscribed to this show, hit that subscribe button and tell all of your friends and family about the amazing tips and information that you're learning from this voice here A to the N to the G. Now, you know, I always have to give the red carpet to my guests and I have something I want to say. Do you think that you work hard? Have you made the most out of your connections? Are you unassumable? Willing to put it all on the line, but be super cool about it. Humble, but confident, a quiet lion and mass producing giant. I mean, the song Midas Touch couldn't be truer for my amazing guest. He is an amazing man. Everything he does turns to gold. I'm sorry, platinum. (laughs) My next guest has managed the careers of some of the world icons that you listen to now, all the while being the best dad, husband, leader, and friend to so many. I have witnessed him open his home and his heart for some great causes to help heal our nation. And of course, his big passion to change the way digital music expands. His class, experience, and true grit are what I admire the most. He's quick, sharp, a game changer, and the true meaning of a conqueror and friend. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome Troy Carter, the founder and CEO of Q&A, a technology and media company focused on powering the business of music via distribution, services, and data analytics. Formerly, Troy was the founder and CEO of Atom Factory, where he rose to prominence, nurturing the careers of global superstars, including Lady Gaga and John Legend. He most recently served at Spotify as its global head of creator services, overseeing the company's growth strategy for artists and record labels. In 2017, Troy was also named entertainment advisor to the Prince Estate. His interest in the intersection of technology and culture resulted in the formation of AF Square Investments. Early investments include Uber, Lyft, Dropbox, Spotify, geez, should I go on? Warby Parker, which is the glasses I'm actually wearing right now. The Skim, Blavity, Gimlet Media, Thrive Market, Play V's, and Faz Clan. Troy, my goodness, this is a resume, I tell you. Welcome, 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 my friend. Thank you so much for having me. You know, your family, so this is an easy one. <laughs> well, wonderful. Well, as always, I have some questions for you. And, you know, this is a show where we educate people, but we also talk about how we build leaders, strong companies, and how to learn from everything that we grow through. We all start somewhere financially, career, and family. And we all have a story that speaks volumes to those that admire us. Like, 
I mean, so many admire you. So let's get after it and let's talk about my first question I have for you. So Troy, what inspired you to take on the world of music? Tell us a little bit about you. I've always been in love with music since, you know, sort of the early hip hop days. You know, I came up in Philly and um, and as I was coming up, it was like just pretty much everything from Run DMC, LL Cool J. Oh, my uh, gosh. Those Boy. were the hitters. Yes, yeah, so it, <laughs> it was very it was like at its infancy. But um, I just fell in love with the culture of like breakdancing, DJ culture. It was like d- way different from the music that, you know, our parents were listening to. And um, and I knew from like day one is is only thing I wanted to do was be in music and, and around music. Absolutely. You know, I went to school with Ice Cube at Taft wow. High School in Woodland Hills. But yeah, talk about break dancing, man. That was that was amazing. Did, were you a break dancer? I, I I could I could break dance a little bit back. <laughs> You can get down, huh? Okay. All right. Well, we won't test your skills right now. (laughs) So if you were granted a trip through a time machine, what would you tell 15-year-old Troy Carter? Well, 15. 15 would have been, oh God, that was the year before I dropped out of high school. Mm. (laughs) Oh my gosh. We have something in common. I love that. Keep going. Yes. I probably would have told myself that, that I, I, that I didn't know it all. Okay. And, and, and learn to listen a little bit more. Mm, mm, okay. When do you feel like you arrived at that as far as listening? I probably arrived at listening more, probably in my late twenties. It took me into about my late twenties been in the business for a while. By that time I was managing the artist Eve but prior to that, I worked with Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince. And um, oh my God, I love them. And 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 their manager summer, James. Summer, summer, time. <laughs> I, that that was the timing. That like yeah. I, was, I was I was in that music video and at that music video shoot and super close to those guys. And their manager James Lasseter was like he's still a good friend and mentor, but he was a guy who he would tell me certain things. He would say that that fire's hot, but I would have to stick my hand in that fire and feel it for myself. So it's like after getting burned a few times, you you know who to listen to. Absolutely. Wow. That's amazing. Amazing. You have surrounded yourself with some, some pretty cool people. Wow. That's so cool. So when you were growing up, what financial advice did you receive or wish you would have received earlier on? You know, um, growing up, we didn't really get any financial advice, you know, because we didn't come from from a family with financial means. You know, Mm. my mom probably made 30 grand a year or something like that. And, you know, sort of, you know, struggled financially for a while, raising, you know, single mom, raising three boys. Oh, wow. Bless her heart. Yeah. So we didn't it wasn't a thing where it was any advice to give. And there was no advice sort of passed down generationally. It wasn't until when I was about 17 or 18 years old, I met a really successful record executive and music producer from Philadelphia, Kenny Gamble. And Kenny's company was called uh, Philadelphia International Records. And they were responsible for like the OJs and 
a, a bunch of big acts. And I said, Mr. Gamble, you know, I want to be in the music industry when I get older. Can you give me some advice? And he said, yeah, buy real estate. And he said, when you make some money for, for music, buy real estate. That actually stuck with me because he ended up building an incredible real estate portfolio in Philadelphia with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of, of homes, you know, so he was successful outside of the music industry. So wow. I really modeled, you know, just being a, um, a businessman out of watching him come from sort of the creative side and actually build, you know, an actual real business out of it. So, That's uh, so that was the advice. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. It's so, you know, we think about the people that we run into our life and, you know, the seeds that they deposit inside of us. And that's amazing because you've obviously done that yourself. So kudos to you and kudos to your mentor who passed that wisdom down to you. That's amazing. So, you know, can you tell me a little bit about your why in life? I mean, you are doing so many things. Um, you're kind of like a, a serial entrepreneur. You you start things, you finish them, which is so important. You know, so many people start things and they never finish, but you've started so many things not only for yourself, but other people, and you have finished them. So tell me a little bit about that and the why in your life and what keeps you motivated to do those kinds of things. Yeah, I think, I think my, my why is more of a why not. Ooh. And, um, and, and I, I'm very, like, I'm a very curious person by nature. And like, when I get interested in something, I just go down this really deep rabbit hole. And so, so the way I, I realized that I, that I learn is through deep exploration. Mm. And, and, and when I get curious and I get passion, uh, get, get passionate about something, it's almost like a dog with a bone. And um, so it's just like, I just go, I go all in on it. And, you know, ideas, ideas are cheap. And, Ooh. you know, you know, you meet a lot of people in life who sort of have ideas and they never really act on them. They just just want to talk about them. Yeah. And then I meet entrepreneurs who will come up with this idea and those ideas end up becoming some of the biggest companies in the world. Or you meet an artist who has an idea around, you know, this is who I want to want to become. And, you know, they don't stop working until it, until it actually happens. So I got lucky enough, you know, working with Will, uh, with Will Smith, he has a maniacal drive and effort in terms of accomplishing something. And so that was really instilled early. And then I think, you know, going back to my mother, it was like, we weren't, we weren't really a family that had plan B's because it's like, you know, the alternative is if she doesn't go to work, we don't have anywhere to live or, you know, food to eat. And so, you know, watching that level of determination, I think was just, subconsciously, you know, sort of instilled as well. Well, absolutely. I mean, there's that saying, right? What you do speaks so loud. I can't hear what you say. Yes. Oh, that's a really good one, by the way. And, and so, you know, I have always believed in that, you know, just like you said, people talk is cheap and people do a lot of talking, but when you actually see them moving and they're being successful at that, that inspires you. You know, Absolutely. because they're putting their feet 
to what they say. I, I love that about people. And that's amazing. So you actually were around people that were mover and shakers, and that helped to develop you into who you are today, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it gave a, you know, a level of, you know, of confidence that things that may look impossible and mm. act because if, if, you know, we grew up in a pretty rough neighborhood. And so it wasn't a lot of um, there weren't really celebrities or, or rich people or anything like that, like that you would see in Los Angeles. So, you know, you you basically saw either, you know, you had real working class families, you had drug dealers, you had hustlers, you had drug addicts. And so, um, so it was all like, there was no high, high, high levels of aspirations of impossible. So that wouldn't, ju- that just, it wouldn't be even fathom- fathomable to, to do certain things, but meeting Will, Will and, and, um, and Jazzy Jeff, it was like, okay, if they could do it, wow, that, you know, it shows that it could be done. Like T- um, Lisa from TLC, Left Eye, you know, we knew Left Eye, she worked at a store, you know, in our neighborhood. And, you know, one day she moved to Atlanta and a couple of years later, we turn on the TV and we see this group TLC and Lisa's in the group. And then Boys wow. the Men's from our neighborhood and, you know, used to sing in, on ta- in talent shows and all of a sudden they become the biggest group in the world. So it just was this whole, this mentality of all things are possible. So it wasn't a fear of failure as much as it was, you know, this sort of a field of possibilities that you have when you're 16, 17 years old. And like, okay, it is really possible. Absolutely. And, you know, tell me a little bit about this because, you know, one thing that I know about you and your wife, you know, you guys are such humble and sweet and kind people. I'll never forget when I was invited to a concert that you guys had invited me to. And we went in the back room and we were talking to some people and they were talking about how you guys had made a donation to this baseball field or something like that. And they were talking about you guys and saying, you know, these people are some of the nicest people you will ever meet in your life. They're so unassuming. And, you know, tell me a little bit about that because you guys are real big givers and you give to the people around you, but, you know, it really comes back. Tell me a little bit about that. What, what's your belief behind that? Yeah, you know, I think it's, um, you know, it's it, like my, my wife, she's from, um, She's from a little town called called Mashpee and 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 um, in Cape Cod, and you know comes from a real working class family. You know her dad, who is a you know very close friend of mine. You know he was he worked at Burger King, McDonald's, you know a Walmart, and um, ended up becoming a you know a police officer, and would hitchhike his way to work. You know they had my wife and her wow. sisters when they were. Him and him and my mother-in-law, they were 18, 19, 20 when they had three girls wow. back, back, back to back. And so she she comes from a very grounded background. You know, with me, you know, very similar in terms of grounded background where a single mom, you know, my my dad was in prison, but you know, got out when I was about 20 and he was a social worker, you know, ended up 
couldn't get his job back at first and, and ended up appealing, you know, three times over however many years and finally, you know, got his old job back and retired as a social worker. And so we come from a place where we know exactly how fortunate we are mm. and also know that we live in a place where it's endless opportunities, you know, in, in, in America but at the same time, everybody doesn't start from the same start in line. Yeah. So where, you know, I'm a, I'm a person where, you know, with all of the problems that, you know, we have within this, with, within our country, the one thing I can say is it is a place of opportunity. And, and I've, yeah. I've traveled all throughout the world. I wouldn't trade it in. But with that being said, if I didn't have James Lasseter and Will Smith, I probably, you know, who knows what, what, what where, where I would be. So us being able to figure out how to provide, you know, resources, advice, you know, relationships, network, like just being a sounding board or, you know, whatever, whatever we, we can do, we just try to try, try to be vessels because we well, know. Well, you don't try, you guys do. So <laughs> you know, try is not it. You guys definitely do. You're definitely connectors. You're definitely giving out. And, you know, I'm a big proponent, a big believer that, you know, what you reap, you sow. And you guys are really sowing that because you are continuously, you know, throwing seeds out there and, and helping others. So I just want to tell you, I, I super respect that. My husband and I are, you know, very much like that. We believe in that. I think that's really the only way to be. Yes, to 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 who much is given. Yes, absolutely. Well, let's go on to my next question. What's the best advice you ever received from someone? Now you told us about the real estate, okay? But what was another piece of advice that someone told you and it just stuck with you? And how has it helped you in your career and investing in your future? It is probably from Jim, Jimmy Iovine, who founded Interscope Records, who, who has been a mentor for a long time. But his advice to me at one point was, as long as the cat is bigger than the shit, you keep the cat. <laughs> wait, OK, wait a minute. You got to explain that to me. Talk to me like I'm two. <laughs> Basically, no, no, knowing when to walk away. Mm. And, and, and sometimes, you know, it's things are worth fighting for the, when the upside is nowhere near the amount of downside, whether that be a toxic relationship, a bad business deal, whatever else sort of no, no one is your time to walk away. I love it. I love it. Okay. Now let's flip it a little bit. And what's the best advice that you have given to someone like a client or a peer? You know, I think my advice is very, very simple. Like, you know, I think consistently, uh, you know, it's probably uh, just telling people how they need to to show up, Mm. you know, and that's, I, I tell that to my kids all the time, you know, just where showing up is 65% 65% of the battle, right? Sure is. And because most people don't, sh- most people don't show up. If you make a commitment, honor the commitment. If you say you're going to do something, definitely do it. And it just exercises a muscle of when 
things are hard and you don't feel like doing something just to be able to sort of, you know, to, to, to work through it. So I, and then also I think on more on the business side, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, be it, you know, artists who are entrepreneurs or, or, or startup founders or people who are just, you know, interested in, in how, how do I, you know, operate business, my business, you know, I think it, being able to, I see artists getting taken advantage of, of a lot. And that's the same thing with entrepreneurs and ca- being able to capture, understand your value and capture value, mm. you know? So, so those, those are just principles that I just, you know, try to push on and instill when, you know, when talking to, you know, artists that are entrepreneurs and, 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 and founders as well. I love that. And I love that you talked about your kids, how you instill that in them, because, you know, those are our entrustments. And I'm a big believer in that. I tell my kids all the time that you have to be accountable and responsible in life. That is so important. And I do something fun with my kids actually every Sunday. Now I have three boys myself. I have a 26-year-old, a 24-year-old, and then I, me and my husband got crazy. I don't know what happened, but we have a nine-year-old. And (laughs) (laughs) exactly. But my older kids, I do something called life hacks with them every Sunday. And I tell them, look, give me 20 minutes of your time. I know that you're busy with life and, you know, having a good time and building your careers and doing things. But I want to share the wealth of knowledge that I have about life. And it was funny last week, um, we were actually talking about how to change your tire and why it's so important to take care of your car. And, you know, that may seem so stupid to them, but, you know, in two years time, they're going to think back about that and be like, oh my gosh, my mom taught me this. And, you know, we've been doing it for a couple of years now, but we talk about all kinds of things, finances, health insurance, business, uh, you know, just everything. And I, I just love the fact that you talked about your kids because, you know, they are the future. And what we're going to kind of talk about uh, next year is is about that and, you know, kind of what's going on in the world of financial literacy and whatnot. And thank you so much for everything that you've shared thus far. You know, what do you think about the financial literacy problem in our country? I think it's uh, it's not something that we learn in school, you know, for, mm-hmm. for when you look at, you know, sort of ba- basic education. And the reality is most people are just trying to survive. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most most people are just trying to survive. So so, you know, just you it's hard to even get to the literacy part when you know, you look at, I think it was a stat that I read and bought the average net worth of family, of black families in Boston, I think it was $8. Because when you factor into home ownership, most people, you know, a lot, a lot of people don't own their homes and they live yeah. in apartments and they don't have savings and they don't have investments or anything like that or whatever. So a lot of it is just people, people trying to survive and, you know, for, for, you know, just on a personal level and most of my network of friends, you know, is, is a lot of us who come from very similar backgrounds of, you know, whether people is people who grew up in the housing projects or, you know, or, you know, just not not coming from any financial means at all. 
you know, whether it's athletes, whether it's, you know, fine artists, whether it's music artists or whatever else, same exact story where people have done well in their career mm-hmm. and then you just completely get go broke. You know, luckily enough, you know, I think for athletes, it's hard because you have like this, this very short specific window of time, you know, to earn. So it's not like if you're, you know, if you're a business person who can start another business or, you know, things along those lines or whatever. So it's like having to learn the hard way mm-hmm. and nobody around you to sort of show you the way because they didn't know the way. That's, right. That, you know, that's that's where I feel like we, you know, it's it, it, there are these there are these gaps. And even if you go sort of basic nine of you know people with nine to five jobs that may not be on a basketball court or so, or something along those lines where i come from it's like we didn't it, it wasn't really a relationship with banks or anything like that you know you had check cash in places you had payday loans you had you know all of these things where it's like you that's normal yeah <laughs> Is, is normal. Like you, you didn't know, you didn't know what the difference was when I would get my little check and I went to the check cash in place to cash my check. I but, didn't here, know. but here, what you're saying though, here, what you're saying is you're saying you didn't know any better. Yeah. So do you think that it's because they don't know or that they don't want to know? I think ne- you, you don't even know the questions to ask mm. to know that you don't know you don't know. Right. (laughs) Exactly. You don't even know you don't know. Mm -hmm. So like like as an example, when I first started Adam Factory, my wife, Rebecca, was she was our CFO. And I remember walking into our offices and she was upstairs in the conference room with like a bunch of people with suits on in the conference room. And I'm like, like, what meeting is that? Who are these people or whatever? Uh-huh. And I walked in and she's in there with the bank. I didn't know you had a relationship. First of all, I didn't know the bank came to you ever. <laughs> ever. ever. Right. Right. Ever. And this is, this is, th- that was my second business, by the way. Mm, mm. That wasn't my first business. This, that was my second business. And I didn't know about the services that were available, products that were available, relationships that were available. I didn't know a lot of that stuff because I didn't even know certain questions to ask. Right. Even, even young guys that are in the music industry that I mentor that are pretty successful, like it's things that I tell them that I learn mm-hmm. that they're just learning for the first for, for the first time. Yes. So, so it's like it, it is. You know, if you don't know the questions that even ask, you don't, you know, you don't even know where to start. And I think a lot of people are afraid to ask as well, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, because I, at least people that I've spoken to, they said, you know, they're embarrassed to ask or they're afraid to ask. And, you know, that's one of the things that I have a passion to change. But, but you don't, you, you can't, you can't ask directions to a street you don't know that exists, Right. True. You know what I'm saying? So because a lot of it is like where, like, like, for instance, right? So I started collecting art probably almost 10 years ago. 
it wasn't until five years ago that a guy that I met who's a really, really big art collector, like major, probably one of the biggest art collectors in the world, he said, hold on, you actually, you pay cash for your art? I said, yeah, what, how else do you do it? He said, no, he said, you leverage your art. Ooh. He said, I did, he, he borrows against his art to buy new art. Mm. And this is a guy, probably one of the most wealthy people in America. And wow. that, that's what he does. And even last, like last month, I was listening to a podcast, but I would have never known to even think of that or ask about that until he mentioned that. Yeah. And then uh, last month, I was listening to a podcast that uh, they were talking, it was, you know, th- about the, the new tax bill that's coming through. And they were talking about how uh, Jeff Bezos and his tax structure. And one of the things that they talked about was Jeff Bezos, he borrows against his stock. So he doesn't have to sell his stock and it doesn't become a taxable event. Right. <laughs> and so basically when you're borrowing at you know, basically below market rates because you're, you're Jeff Bezos and it's not earned income, essentially, you know, it's, it's not a taxable event. Right. So it's like, so these are, these are things that just from an information perspective, I get access to certain circles now and certain information just based off of, you know, relationships and things along those lines is not everyday access. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and there's a lot of content out there and being made now to make people aware. So, you know, what would you say is what what has to happen for it to change? Because again, that's my passion. My passion is to help people understand first and foremost, that their credit is an investment tool to build wealth. Mm -hmm. But, you know, secondly, to help people understand that, as you said a little while ago about this amazing country that we live in, the credit system was predicated on a place where you know, they said, you know what, you have a job, we're going to trust you. You want to go and buy that million dollar house and you can prove that you've worked for two years. We're going to allow you to do that. You don't have to have a million dollars in the bank, but you have to be trustworthy and show that over the last couple of years that you have worked with certain banks and financial institutions and you are a good credit risk. So, you know, what do you think has to change to help Americans or people be more financially aware? I think people learning that credit isn't a bad thing. Mm-hmm. So where culturally the way we were so that we were raised is that you want to own everything outright. Mm-hmm. You want to own your house outright. You want to own your cars outright. You want to own everything outright. So nobody can take it from you. Right. They can't cut. They can't come and take it from you. And you got to have, you know, it's the whole idea around the cash under your mattress. And, <laughs> you know, and so that's, that was, you know, that, that was my grandfather, you know, mm-hmm. like my, my grandfather, it was like, you got to own it. Like, you know, it was like that sort of thing. So well, they didn't I, trust the banks either. And they had reason to. Mm-hmm. So because if you grew up and if you grew up during, during the Great Depression, if you grew up in places that were segregated, that wouldn't 
bank certain people that were and where houses were redlined and you couldn't buy places in certain neighborhoods or get mortgages and all of those things that sort of shaped your thinking right it shaped, it shaped your thinking so like so for us that was what was sort of passed down from a mentality perspective mm-hmm. so you know so it was just things that that I learned through my my wife was much more advanced at understanding these concepts than I was. Oh, she's sharp. She's She's sharp. She is sharp. She's super (laughs) sharp. So so she was way more advanced at understanding those concepts than I was. You know, she Mm -hmm. came in as a, she was a broker at Merrill. And so it's like, so she, for her, like numbers, you know, she's a numbers whiz. Yes. And and, and so it's just, and, and, you know, people always credit me with, the amount of like, you know, oh my, you know, you, you are so, so successful. Honestly, I wasn't successful until we met. Mm. And it was something that we, we ended up building together. Absolutely. It was her financial acumen of being able to say, because she would question music industry standards. She would question like business managers make what? Right. <laughs> you're gonna pay, exactly. You're going to pay 5% to somebody for, for doing that. Mm-hmm. And, they're, and they're not even really that good at that. Mm-hmm. Hold on. You're going to pay the lawyer what percentage for doing what? Mm-hmm. And these are all standard music industry things. But when you got somebody outside of the music industry that that looks at it just through the lens of, the way the world actually works, then it's like, okay, you know what? I could hire the best lawyer at the best law firm and pay their hourly rate. And it's only 10% of what, you know, I would have paid out to somebody in the music industry. And you probably negotiate a better deal. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, hundred percent. I love the fact that you said it's when you guys came together because, you know, it sounds to me like you're out there doing the fishing and she's cutting it up. Well, she's the most risk adverse person I, I know. So it's like, <laughs> that so is like, great. So, I so, love so it. She, she wouldn't, she doesn't, she doesn't have the stomach for risk. And so she's more about structure. With me, I'm, I'm a person who's willing to take risk and adverse to structure. So it's like, so it's that sort of yin yang in that, in that in balance. When a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I love to hear that. Well, tell me this, tell me one thing that you didn't know about credit that you now know and see it as valuable in your personal life. Well, you know, I think you you probably taught us everything there is to know that everything we know about it. But you know, just because honestly, I never knew how the the system worked. Mm-hmm. Like you know, just in terms of levers, right? You know, this is what's important here. This is what's important here. This is what people you know what people look at. And Cory Booker, the, the senator, tells a funny joke, like how expensive it is to be poor. Yes. Yeah. It's very expensive to be poor. Everything costs more. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and so, you know, that's one of the things, just understanding the difference between, because I was credit, I, like, I didn't like credit before. Yeah. I, just, I just would pay for things. Right. And it, it, I, I had to be convinced 
the, to even get a credit card. I'm like, you didn't know the power behind leverage. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't make sense to me though. Mm-hmm. It didn't yeah. make sense. I'm like, why wouldn't somebody just want to own it? And then learning about how you make your money work for you. Absolutely. And yeah. then I think, you know, I think between, you know, all, all of your lessons and then a friend named Valerie Mosley years ago taught me about compounded interest. Oh. And, and then another friend of mine taught me about, you know, tech investing. You know, oh. I think that, you know, those, those sort of have become sort of pillars and overall strategy. And so, you know, because the reality is the music industry has done a lot for me, Mm -hmm. but I would say the investments have done way more in terms of a platform. Well, of course. Yeah. And, and listen, what you're talking about right now is you've learned the leverage in that as well. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, ultimately it's, it's, it's all platforms at the end of the day. Yeah. Like, you know, do you have a platform that you could, that you can leverage and credit is a platform as, as, as well. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's so many things that, that people need to know and not be afraid of, you know, that whole uh, thing that you talked about, Mr. Booker in being poor. One of the things is, is that the credit system doesn't care if you're poor or you're rich. Okay. And a lot of people that, you know, make a very honest income have used the credit system to, again, like I said, you know, your credit is an investment tool to build wealth. You know, I was just talking to a client the other day, bless her heart. She is a single mom. She had seven kids. And she actually worked for a hotel and she worked her way up um, in the maid service as a supervisor. But much like you were told and given the great wisdom to buy real estate, she did the same thing and she did it in Mexico. And today she actually owns over 27 properties. Are you serious? Absolutely. And she did it off the honest wage that she made and being a single mother to seven children. So it just goes to show you that when you invest yourself in understanding how something works and how it can work for you, there's so much that you can do. And there really absolutely is no reason for someone like an athlete or someone like an entertainer to have so much money and at the end of their career have nothing. You know, I. You know what, too, though? It's like where. I even know for, for my, for myself, money isn't something that I, I don't even like talking about it. So for a lot of people, it's, it's not a comfortable subject. And it's like, I call it for myself, financial PTSD. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like something eat. It's not even the thing where people feel shame and, and embarrassment and asking questions because you don't want to look dumb. Mm-hmm. Or, or if you're in trouble and, and like, especially in our culture is like uh, uh, perception is a, is a really big thing. Yeah. And you don't want to ask people who even may know. Yes. You know? So, so, so that's the part. I think, I think getting past the, the stigmatisms mm-hmm. and, 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 um, and embarrassment. Mm-hmm. 
that's what that's what'll get us there. Like we we come from a culture and family, like you know specifically where people would wait until you're really sick to go to the doctor. Yes, you know because yes. you you don't want to talk about being sick, or or you're you're scared to hear what the diagnosis may be instead of finding out and and getting it taken care of. We come from a culture that we don't want to talk about death or plan for it because it's like it's superstitious to even think about dying when we all know it's inevitable. So it's like, well, just figure it out and plan plan for it or whatever. So it's like, it's kind of like just culturally getting through it. And like, you know, for me and my friends, you know, we got a, we got a group of friends that all kind of came up together and our kids are, you know, in their early and mid twenties, seeing how much, than we were as a generation and how they got it together. And it's like, they're- Well, they got to watch you. They got to watch you in action. Yes, but they could have easily, but to be honest with you, so our oldest, he's an investor. He worked for us and it's like, you know, you can lead a horse to the water, you know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. So whether or not they're going to go down a certain path, you, you just never know. So it's just really good to see them, you know, really be be better than us and, and get better generationally. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I my greatest pleasure and passion and what I love so much and, you know, what you're talking about is helping people see that they are worthy they are worthy to be uh, financially set. They're worthy to own a home. You are worthy to make a certain amount of money. Now, here's the thing, you know, with the worthy comes along the hard work. And when you work really hard, you are worthy to have gains. And I think that that even goes to the, you know, what you're talking about as far as medically, you know, where people are ashamed to share with someone that they're sick. It comes back to us feeling worthy that we deserve it. And, you know, I a hundred percent think that, and, and again, what my mission is, is to help people understand how they do deserve it and how when they work hard that, you know, there are tools and things that they can do to preserve their wealth, whether it's wealth of $30,000 or wealth of $30 million. The point is, is that when you take the time to learn something and put it into practice, the world is at your feet, you know? You, you, you nailed it so much with the worthiness mm-hmm. and like that, that was a place where I really, really, really struggled, mm. really struggled having survivor's guilt, you know, of being su- successful and, and, uh, and people around me not having the same paths. And, and I, I really, really struggled with it. You mean and, the haters? No, not even, not even. <laughs> That, 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 look, they're funny. The haters, get, they, I don't care whether they got it or not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer them not to have. It. Right. <laughs> but, you know, but really talking about like just the people, the people you love. Yes. And, and the people who didn't make it. And, you know, yeah. the people who in my, in my life, I've lost friends who have gotten killed and my wow. closest cousin and like a lo- along the way. And I made it out and a lot of people didn't make it out. And it's yes. like, as crazy as it sounds, 
is something that I struggled with. And a lot of it was sub- subconsciously. And yes. I was talking to somebody about it and they and it, it was a real issue. What put it in perspective that was helpful for me was he, he said, Troy, I know, I know your back, I know your back, I know enough about you and know your background where I know what your parents had gone through. He said, I don't know your grandparents or anything like that, but I can't imagine that they were wealthy or anything like that based off of our conversations. And he said, if you go back only four generations, your family were in cotton fields. Mm -hmm. Your family were in cotton fields. You go back two, three more generations from that, they they were on ships, half of them dying, you know, on their way over, over, over here. Yeah. And so when you think about the, the trauma, the poverty, he said, do you ever think your great, great, he said, what do you think your great, great grandparents would think about who you are today? They would be so proud. They would be so proud because I have the same heritage because my family was in the Holocaust and I'll never forget my grandmother. She was so amazing. She, when I was young, my mom was a single mom and I would always go to my grandma's house and this, it stuck with me. And I do believe that it's why I do what I do now. Mm -hmm. And we were going to get my tough skin jeans at Sears. (laughs) Okay. Before I went to school and she would go to the freezer and she would pull out her credit cards because they were in a block of ice. And she told me with her thick German accent, she said, never carry credit cards in your purse. And I said, grandma, you know, at the age of six, why not? And she said, because you'll use them and then you'll get in debt. <laughs> and so, and she was so, so frugal, but knowing what she came from and losing her parents and her family in the war and being killed and, you know, all of these crazy things. And, and to think that she was in, you know, Auschwitz and, you know, th- these things like you're talking about, it's absolutely incredible that we have become, and you know what, Troy? We owe it to them. Yes, and we're stewards. That's we're stewards. right. And we're it's doing right. it. We're yep. doing it. Yep. So amen to that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, listen, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. It has truly been a pleasure. I have loved talking to you, hearing about you and friends and fans out there. You heard it here first. This is A to the N to the G. You're listening to Your Credit Today and Troy and Angela are out. Thank you so much.